And so we ask that that which enables you to see us by your Holy Spirit would now enable us to see you. Lord, you're here in the lounge (laughs) by this phone. But you're also with me. And for each one of us, maybe just where you are, just say, God, thank you that you are here right now. You see me. Help me see you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what? I think we're getting ready for a season of of re-engaging. The third wave has been an incredible challenge. There's been a lot of fatigue with it and like going again, but it's not again. It was different. Each, each one is different. And, and so finding the ability to re-engage at different levels during this time is a challenge for us. And one of the things where we want to re-engage is in the space of ministry. Part of our challenge has been just to make it. But in a sense, we want to go further. And at times, I think our success and our reward has been, as it were, making the finish line. But as we re-engage, I think there comes for us a chance to step into conscious ministry to people around us. And so, as I was joking about the crowds, but we're going to look at how Jesus Uh, as it were, works the crowds this morning. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 4. We start at verse 18, where Jesus calls his first disciples. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a a, a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. They would have been anarchists if they were just running around throwing nets into the lake. But they were fishermen. So, come follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their dad, and they followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and illness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, And he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, that's the area he was from, from the Decapolis, a Gentile area on the far side, from Jerusalem, far to the south, from Judea, from the, you know, even further away, and the regions across the Jordan, just about everywhere, large crowds followed him. 
As we've looked at the last few weeks, and we've been to Ezekiel chapter 47 and to John chapter 7, and we've seen that the ministry of Jesus is this overflow which he promises to us as well. If we will believe in him, and if we will drink from him, we will also find rivers of living water from our innermost being. And Jesus is talking about the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so there is in Jesus this overflow of his relationship with the Father by the Spirit. And theologians talk of the perichoresis, which technically means the interpenetration of the Father to the Son and the Father to the Spirit and the Spirit to the Son and and the Spirit to the Father and the Son to the Spirit and the Son to the Father. And basically each one of them is a distinct uh, person, and yet each one of them is completely filled by the other. Yet they have different roles. And as we learn to follow Jesus, our job is not to try and do what the Holy Spirit does. Our job is not to try and do what the Father does, but the Bible's very clear. Our job, as it were, if they were on a dance floor, and that's how they, peri means to move, and uh, choresis, we get the word chorus or music. It's as if there's this movement around, and they're in a dance, and they're inviting us into the kind of relationship they have with one another. Now, as we move into that relationship, our job is not to do the work of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't. Our job is not to, to try and be God the Father, like provide our own identity, power, security. We will exploit people in horrible ways and do great harm if we try and do what the Father does. But Scripture is very clear that we watch Jesus and it's move as he moves, step as he steps, act as he acts, because God wants to form the fullness of Jesus in us. And so the river of ministry flows when we learn, as it were, out of this knowledge and experience of relationship and love, where God says to us, as he says to Jesus, you're my child, I love you, I'm so pleased with you. We learn to do ministry with as little discontinuity between how Jesus did it and we do it. Amen? And so it's always good to look at how Jesus encounters people for us to learn how we can encounter people. Jesus never met a person or treated anyone other than as someone made in the image of God. For Jesus, the kingdom of God started in Genesis 1. That although the world was chaotic, by the end of it, God had crowned his creation and put over creation those who were his image bearers. And if you think about Jesus, regardless of who the person was, he, and no matter how fallen they were, he always treated people as those who carried the image of his heavenly father. And he looked to see the image of God in the people he encountered. That's what he called out. That's what he related to. It says it where God had put his inscription on them. And his inscription was this. You know, we have images, as Jesus spoke to those uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law, you know, 
Caesar's image is, is imprinted and impressed on a coin, and then there's an inscription. And the inscription, you know, would say, Caesar is Lord. The interesting thing is God puts his image on us, and in Genesis 1, God's inscription on his image is God saw that it was very good. God's inscription over every human life is this belief, and and he knows what it can be. Now, we know the fall has happened, but Jesus came with different eyes. And time and again, as Jesus moves through the vast crowds, as we saw in our reading, he stops and speaks to the one. So I want to remind us this morning of stop for the one reloaded. It's, it's like we need to remind ourselves of how Jesus does this. Because we've had so little time to interact. And you know what? We're probably not going to get crowds for a while. But if we will remember to stop for the one and reload this dynamic, and whether it's actually going to be through a message or a phone call or an in-person encounter that doesn't require organization, what, you, what stands out is that so few of these encounters were arranged. I mean, they were divinely orchestrated. God was at work. But they didn't require a program. They required Jesus being willing to see the image of God and reclaim and restore that in the one. And so he calls Peter and Andrew to a new life of discipleship. Peter would at some point say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. But Jesus always sees more potential in us than we do. And he says to him, you will fish for people. And he speaks to his destiny, not as it were to his bad attitude. So too James and John. One moment working with their dad, the next day walking into new purpose. So here's the thing. (laughs) The key to the crowds was not that Jesus sought the crowds. The crowds sought him. Jesus never sought the crowds. The crowds sought him. The key to the crowds was the value and importance and priority that Jesus gave to one person at a time in front of him. And when Jesus put that value, people were drawn to that. The key to the crowd is not the crowd. The key to the crowd is if you will stop for the person God puts in front of you. And so even if you only have one person-to-person encounter this week, the key to what comes next is how you will respond to that one person. So, for example... At the house of a Pharisee named Simon, we read in Luke chapter 7, verse 44, Jesus, as it were, arrests and interrupts the conversation with a question, and he turns towards this woman, but he says to Simon, so he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to this Pharisee who's so offended that a sinful woman could come into his house, a woman with a a dodgy reputation, and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon had not seen the person. He had only seen the reputation. He had only seen the problem. He had only seen the stigma. And he was worried that somehow she would contaminate him. Jesus looks and he says, this is the same that was made in the Garden of Eden. She is woman. 
Do you see her? Infamous for her failures, but Jesus is about to change her life forever. And when Jesus stops for the one, it's always to deal with the effects of the fall. To deal with our sin. To deal with its, its consequences and its brokenness and its injustice and its rejection. And so the outworking of God's redemption comes one person at a time. Not saying there is it wrong for the crowds. Jesus ministered to them. But as it were, it was always unlocked. Jesus' word in that moment of ministry, flowing out of his attentiveness to the heart of his father. Remember we saw last week in the temple how Jesus changes it back to this house of prayer and freedom and healing because he's attentive to the heart of the father. And by the power of the spirit, he breaks the destructive influence of the fall, undoes the curse of sickness and suffering, rejection and injustice, demonization and dehumanization, and he restores life for that person as God intends. And then that story would unlock whole towns, whether in Samaria or Capernaum or whatever it is. And if we want to see unlocking happening, it'll be because we learn as a culture and as a community and just in our ordinary everydayness of going about fishing for fish, we learn to fish for people. Stopping for the one. And so there's crowds pressing around Jesus and Jesus stops to find and discern and speak to a woman who had reached out with an issue of blood in faith and touched the very tip of his garment. And he affirms her faith and calls out her value. Jesus stops under a sycamore tree to find a tax collector called Zacchaeus who had been, as it were, ostracized. He calls one man at a tax table, this time Matthew, who'd given up on being good. Jesus stops for Bartimaeus, a blind man crying out at the side of the road. He stops for a self-harming, demonized man. He stops for a widow and raises her only son. He stops for an outcast woman at a Samaritan well. He stops for a paralyzed man who's lowered at his feet, his mid-sermon, and he stops. Now, he does this for three reasons. The first is to affirm the value and love that God has for every person. God's love isn't an idea. I mean, it's an important idea to understand, but it's not an idea. It's a force. It is the personal energy that lives inside of God. God is love. And he wants that to move into us. To become part of our perichoresis, that it becomes our dance, rooted in creation and redemption. So God has value. The second reason is that when Jesus stops for the one, he, he begins to take control of and manage the faith environment in a space. When you are faced with untold need, you just feel overwhelmed. But when you're faced with one person who's lonely, you can take time. When you're faced with one person who's, 
who's an outcast or experiencing injustice. You can do something for one person. And often what happens when we try and fix everything, we fix nothing. But when we stop for one, something shifts in the faith expectation of what's going on in people's lives around us. And by focusing at one, on one person made in the image of God in a world of sorrow and pain, you trust the gospel for them. And it prevents all the other things from, as it were, crowding in and becoming overwhelming. And then, of course, we see and again and again out of this that as Jesus stops for the one, as Jesus calls people into their destiny, as Jesus does healing and, and strengthening of others, stories multiply, testimonies get told, and other people say, me too. Jesus I need you to. Jesus, can I come close? In Luke chapter 4, we read in Capernaum, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And by sunset, what's happening? The whole town is pressing in, coming for ministry. He stops for one and unlocks a region and an area and a town. And Luke chapter 5 and 6, the pattern repeats all kinds of, as it were, we can call them faith environments. It's like whether the atmosphere is heavy and hard or whether people are starting to carry some kind of expectation and hope. Whether people are giving up or people are stepping up. And so the <laughs> leprosy communities that are changed. And even in the center of a synagogue, a man with a shriveled hand, Luke 6. And then we read, for example, in verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place and a large crowd of his disciples were there. And people had started following him. And more and more come and they, even just to touch him. Why? Because power was coming out from him and healing them all. And here's the important difference. <laughs> Power's coming out of Jesus, healing them all. Jesus is still relying on the Father. Jesus is in the Holy Spirit. We are not the saviors of the world. Jesus is. But Jesus wants to teach us how that same reality can flow through us if we will trust him one person at a time. So just to wrap up, what do we take away? Building on last week, we minister out of us being loved. Remember we spoke of identity and protection and provision and wisdom and authority and power those were the things that came into the life of Jesus through the love of the Father, by the coming of the Spirit. And if you look at Luke chapter 2 through 6, whether it's Matthew 4 through 9 or whatever it is, but Luke especially shows there were many moments in these times where Jesus' ability to stop for the one and then minister to much more was always interspersed by these moments of stillness, of rest, and of presence, and of prayer. Returning to the dance, as it were, or making sure he stays connected to the Father's love and wisdom. So whether in 2.49, Luke 2.49, you'll find me in my Father's house. You know, his parents are looking for him. He's like, where else would I be? 
Baptism, heaven opens, the Father's word speaks. Luke 4 begins with Jesus in retreat in the wilderness and he's fasting and he has to overcome the enemy. And it moves into this declaration of anointing and ministry and freedom in the year of the Lord's favor. But it ends again in solitude. Jesus goes alone to pray. If you want to learn how to stop for the one, we need to learn to be alone as well. So that our tanks get filled by the love. You're not going to be able to save the world. We have to learn like Jesus that that those relationships that held him must also hold us. Luke 6, 12, he climbs the mountain and spends the night alone in prayer. And then the second thing, very simply, is to ask Jesus for the eyes for the one that he wants us to stop. Sometimes people want us to stop, but they don't want Jesus They simply want something else that would be an idol in their lives, whether that's affection inappropriately given, whether that's money that creates dependence, or whether it's power and control that they want. And Jesus had to discern when people were stopping him to take something that wasn't appropriate to give. But he always framed that by looking at what he could see his father was doing. So as we go into our, as it were, (laughs) reloaded world, one of the things we want to do is to remember to stop for the one. And we may not even be yet in small groups, but it may simply be that as we're going through... uh, (laughs) going for a walk on the canal or at Howard Center or stopping at the hog house or whatever it is, there's someone there and you can speak a word of hope or you can take a moment to pray or you can check in how they're doing or you can follow up or you can take a meal. You see, listening properly is truly part of valuing the person. And so sometimes stopping and just really wanting to know, how are you so that I can pray? is already God entering that space. And then out of that, beginning to find ways. Now, one of the things we can do and to stretch in over this next while is to look at ways that we can start doing some of this in person. And hopefully in, in, in next week we'll be Stopping to celebrate the baptisms and be able to do that in person. But one of the things when we ask someone, and he has a little tip, how are you doing? One of the things we we, we tempted to slip into is sympathy. (laughs) And instead of understanding their emotion, we simply mirror it. So they downcast and they're feeling broken and discouraged. And we end up simply saying, me too. You know, when Jesus met a demonized person, he never said, me too. <laughs> when, when Jesus met somebody who was suffering injustice, he did not add to the injustice or the rejection. And he did not identify with the thing. That would happen on the cross. That would happen on the cross. <laughs> that identification. 
when we meet with someone, what we want to do is identify with, as it were, recognize the person, but identify with the heart that Jesus carries for their redemption. And, it, and it's a bit of a challenge. So that as you engaging in these everyday conversations, and sometimes with people who are not even yet Christ followers, and you stop for the one, the simple question becomes, Jesus, how can I do this with you so that they meet you and not just me? How can I do this with you so that they meet you and not just me? See, you can know a gift of ministry has been given away when the person leaves and they're aware that God was part of that interaction. And so be careful of simply going into sympathy. As much as compassion is real and true, that's a slightly different thing. Sympathy is simply mirroring their emotion and entering into the same place that they are. Whereas compassion enables you to see them with God's heart, but it enables you to keep a hope alive that changes the encounter for the kingdom. So I'm going to ask Cindy to come up as we just pray for ourselves. Let's just take a moment. As Craig was talking about a dance, a picture came to mind of when Amy was little and we were at a wedding and she so badly wanted to dance, but she didn't know how. And she would stand on Craig's feet and they would dance together. And it just sends an invitation to come and stand on my feet. It requires complete trust, but it's safe and it's freeing. Wrapped in his presence, learning our Heavenly Father's rhythms of life as we intimately connect with him. Lean into him. Rely on him. Move with him. The only time that dance becomes awkward is when I want to lead and go in a different direction. And following is not my natural instinct. So Jesus, I need you. I need to know what it is to trust you fully and completely. To have your heartbeat, to see what you see. But in that intimacy, I know that I am so loved. You have chosen to dance with me. The value of being wrapped in your presence with such an unconditional love. Stay in that place. Rest. If you get the urge to if, but what if, but, come. Come to me. Stay with me. Abide in me. And because we have to kind of draw this time to a close, he says, okay, come with me now. And let us dance wider, drawing others in as we go. Thank you, Milo. Um, I sense that uh, for some of us, allowing others to stop for us is important. In other words, 
we may be on either side of the ministry uh, paradigm at any moment. And so for, even though we, we frame this, as it were, uh, as us learning to minister like Jesus, so we must also allow the, our brothers and sisters to be the body of Jesus to us. And so if that's going to help you today, yeah, just reach out. You know, Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard him. And you can do that in prayer, but you can also ask someone to stop with you, pray with you, turn to God with you. And whether that person's in your life group or whether you want to make contact with us, please feel free to do that. So I want to bless you just with a sense of uh, the God who sees, the God who knows. And so now may the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God our Father and the close friendship and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen.